Hey, when we uh, we'll get a little transition here, um, want to mention a couple things. One, the ladies had their spring tea yesterday, and uh, my wife said it was uh, they had a great time. And so appreciate to all the ladies and for helping out the women's ministry team. Thank you, and for the guys who helped out as well. I think Leslie gave her testimony, and my wife said it was great. So appreciate folks sharing, and that that's good. And then last week was in the second service, a little bit crazy with the baptism. Uh, baptisms and the baby dedications. So uh, I failed to mention, and I don't know, I may mention it in the first service last week, but um, wanted to thank all those who were involved in the Easter services, the worship team and all that type of stuff, greeters and so forth. Appreciate all the extra help. And then also the set. Uh, Pastor Eric and, and Mark Young uh, designed the set. So it looks great. And so I appreciate all their hard work. So there's all the housekeeping. Now we're ready to start. You ready? Just swept up a few things. Tied it up, looks good, put it in a box, and we're ready to go. Hey, uh, we're in a series called Hashtag Hope, and we started on Easter, so if you've missed the last couple weeks, you can always grab a CD. I'm not sure if there's any out there, but you can always look online, uh, listen online if you'd like to. And so in your program is an outline, and we want to jump in today. We're going to recap a little bit, and then we're going to move forward in today's uh, lesson. And so at the very top, we talk about what optimism, or what hope is. Hope is not optimism. Oftentimes people think that that's what hope is. It's just kind of optimistic thinking. Well, optimism is personal trust in you. Oftentimes optimism denies reality and you just got to have some good thoughts and kind of deny the, the place that you're in. And so it's really about what you can do, how you look at life and what you're able to achieve. But hope, on the other hand, is a little bit different. Uh, hope is based in a theological idea. And it comes from that First uh, Peter. Hope is personal trust in God. Hope is uh, what you believe that God can do in and through you. And we looked at that verse in First Peter chapter 1, verse 21, and on Easter. And it says, Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified, uh, glorified Him. And so your faith and your hope are in God, right? So it's based on a theological term. It's based on the idea that Christ was resurrected from the dead. That's the Easter story. And so our faith and our hope is placed in him. It's not optimistic thinking. It's not what you can do, but it's what Christ can do. And so we've said this through the, through the uh, series, is that miracles are to uh, build your faith that increase your hope. And so when Jesus would do miracles, it was to do really a couple things. One was to verify that he was the son of God or validate that he is the son of God. But it's also, it was a lesson in there. Every miracle has a message or in some cases many messages, but every, uh, every miracle is to build the faith of those who would experience or who would hear about it. And that faith as it grows would increase the hope that we have in our life because again, our hope isn't what we can do but it's based on what God can do in and through our life. All right? You believe that? All right. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look in a couple places in uh, the, uh, the miracle of uh, Peter walking on the water. And it's, lo- it's located in three of the Gospels, of the four Gospels. And so we're going to use all three of them. Each of them have a little bit of different uh, take or a little bit different detail on that. And so let me give you just kind of a background of what's going on, and then we're going to look at the text. So Jesus just finishes feeding the 5,000. Remember, there's 5,000 people. Uh, the disciples are like, hey, we got to feed these people. And they're like, man, it's going to take us like a year to work for all this food. 
And Jesus calls a little boy. He has five loaves and two fish. He looks up to heaven and he blesses it and he breaks it. And then they go out and they feed the 5,000. And actually the number 5,000 isn't really an accurate number because it says 5,000 men. So the, the text would also imply that there were women and there were children. And so some estimate there were somewhere maybe between twelve to 15,000 people that Jesus would have fed with the five loaves and the two fish. Well, in John's Gospel, it says that after the multitudes were fed, they were satisfied and they wanted to force him to become the king. Now, not the Messiah king, but the political king. And their bellies were full, they were happy, and they were tired of Rome and the government of Rome, and so they wanted to put Jesus in charge, and he was going to become the political leader. Well, that's not why he came. And so he decides that he's going to leave. And so he tells his disciples to get into the boat, okay? And the text implies that they really weren't that happy about it. He made them get into the boat. All right, And you'll see the reason why that he did that because he is ultimately going to try to teach them a lesson. So he sends them out from the miracle of where the feeding of the 5,000 to where they're going to go. Bethsaida was maybe a two-hour boat ride. It was at the north part of the Sea of Galilee. It was a short distance across. They would have done it many times. It wouldn't have been a big deal. If you guys are boaters, it may be going from Antioch Harbor you know, to kind of Pittsburgh Harbor, kind of one of those things. Not a big deal. It would have been something that they would have done all the time. Rowing, it would have taken them maybe a couple hours to get there. So a very short distance. And he was going to then catch up with them in Bethsaida and continue on. And so this is where we pick up the story. Mark chapter uh, 6, verse 45. Are you ready? immediately, so after the miracle, immediately after the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus, what's the word? Made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. Guys get in the boat, they start out, he tells the crowd, hey, thanks very much for your time, we're done, and he's going to leave. After leaving them, he went uh, went up alone on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, The boat, that's where the disciples were in, right? The boat was in the middle of the lake. Now, uh, I didn't have a map, but but it's basically they're off course, okay? It was the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, a little shot over. They're in the middle, okay? So how did they get to the middle and why were they in the middle? It should have been a little two-hour journey and it's turned into kind of a Gilligan's Island thing, right? A three-hour tour ends up 20 years of making videos, right? And, and so, so they're, they're kind of in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the sea. They use the word lake, but it's the Sea of Galilee. And he was alone, Jesus was alone, and he saw the disciples were straining at the oars because the wind was against them, okay? Now, in Mark, so this is in Matthew, Mark, and, and John's Gospel, and they all have a little bit of a different take on it. The word that they use for storm is megastorm. Okay, so this isn't a little bit of a headwind. This isn't a little type of a thing. This is a major storm in which Jesus made the disciples get into the boat to go out into a storm. Okay, so you've got to get that in your mind. About the fourth watch, which is about somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they left after dinner. It's 3 or 6 a.m., so they've been at it for maybe 6 to 9, 11 hours, depending on when they ate dinner. Okay? 
They're out in the middle of the lake, off course, rowing against a storm, not a little storm, but a mega storm that they're going, uh, that they're rowing against. Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by when they saw him walking on the lake and they thought he was a ghost or a famine, a a, a spirit kind of thing uh, is the word that they use. So obviously they thought something was wrong because normally people don't walk on water. Would you agree with that? So they're not sure what it is. So they think it's some type of spirit. So they cry out because they saw him and they were, what were they? Terrified. Not because of him, but because of the storm in which they were in. Okay? They were terrified. Immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, and we'll come back to that. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They... um, for they had not understood about the loaves. So, here's a little secret. Remember, kind of like last week. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? Remember feeding of the 4,000? We don't see it. Hey, let's go meet a blind guy. Maybe you'll see it then. Right? And that was last week's miracle. And so, here's the same type of situation. Jesus feeds the 5,000. They don't get it. And so, he's like... Let's take a little boat ride, okay? And we're going to make you get into the boat, and it's a two-hour journey, and we're going to set sail, and I'm going to go up and on the mountain, and I'm going to pray, and in the midst of them going out there, a storm rolls in. And Jesus wants to teach them a lesson, okay? Now, let's just kind of pause. The lesson that He wants to teach them is what to do when you feel like you're sinking. When you are terrified at the situation and circumstances that you're in and you've done everything you could possibly do and it isn't working. What do you do? And the reality is, I think whether you're a believer or an unbeliever or a seeker, we could all say that that's true in our life. There are seasons and there are times in our life where we just feel like we're sinking. That the more we try, the more we row, the more we do, the more we, you know, whatever it is, it's like we're not making any headway. We're off course. We're supposed to be on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. We're in the middle. And somehow we got off course. And we just feel like, you know what? It's tough. Now I've said this, that that when you are filled with hopelessness, one of the characteristics that a person will do is they'll give up. They'll just say, "I, I can't do it. I quit. And they'll walk away from it. They'll leave their situation. And so Jesus is like, you didn't get the loaves. I'm going to put you in a boat. There's going to be a storm. And you're going to get the lesson then. And he's going to walk them through. So let's take a quick look at some of the symptoms of feeling like you're, you're sinking in the sense of the text, staying, staying with the text here. <clears throat> so here's the lesson that he wants them to understand. When you feel like you're sinking, and here's some symptoms. The first one is this. I know that I'm sinking when I can't see my way. And you see in John's Gospel, it says, by now it was dark. 
And so they're out on the Sea of Galilee. There's no street lights. There's a storm. It's overcast. And so it is probably pitch black. Most of us, unless you've been like in a cave of some sort, you really, in our world, it's tough to be in complete darkness physically because there's so many you know, street lights and so forth like that. But, but in their case, they're in the middle of the lake. There is no street lights. And remember, in that day, they didn't, you couldn't look onto the shore and see the lights of the homes. It would have been completely pitch black. And so they weren't able to see their way. They began to feel like they're sinking. Second idea is this. You know you're sinking when you feel like you're on your own. When you look around and you realize, you know what? I'm all by myself. The absence of God in our life oftentimes creates a sense of hopelessness in our life. Would you agree with that? And so, so you look in the, in the Scripture there, in, the, in John, John's Gospel, it says, and Jesus had not yet joined them. So He wasn't with them. The third idea is this. You know that you're sinking when you're out of your comfort zone. Do you all agree with that? So in Mark's Gospel, it says they were in the middle of the lake. And if you think of the middle of the lake, it's the furthest from the shore, right? They're dead center. It's not like they can bail out and swim. I mean, they're in, they're in a place where they're in a tough spot. In Mark, uh, Matthew's Gospel, it says they were, a far, uh, they were a long way from the shore. And certainly when you're filled with hopelessness, that's exactly how you feel. You feel like you're a long way from anything. The, third, the fourth one is this. You know that you're sinking when there is a strong force against you. Do you agree with that? In, Ma- in Matthew's Gospel, it says they were tossed around and battered by the waves. In John's Gospel, it says the waters grew rough. And Mark's Gospel says the wind was against them. And remember that the word that they use to describe it is not like a little bit of a headwind. It's a megastorm. A megastorm that was taking place. And the reason why is because the Sea of Galilee is several thousand feet below sea, or hundred feet below sea level. And then you have the Golan Heights. Everyone knows that. We hear a lot of that about the news and who's getting it and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's a high mountain. So you have cold air and then you have the Sea of Galilee below sea level. So it's like Death Valley, very warm. And when those, when those airs mix, it creates a huge storm. And so that was pretty common and it still is today. Pretty common in that situation. The next one is, you know, you're sinking when you're struggling and you're still failing. That true? Jesus said in in, uh, verse 48, it says he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And so there are times in our life where I think we could all relate to that. And Jesus takes his disciples out to teach them a lesson because in every miracle there's a lesson and, and he, wants to, he wants to increase their faith, right? He wants to build their faith to increase their hope in their life. And we looked at some of the characteristics of what hope does in our life when we have it. So there are three things that Jesus does for the disciples that will help us out. And then there are five things in which the disciples do is what we need to do. So let's take a look at the three things that Jesus does when you're sinking. So number one is that he notices my struggles. Okay, he notices my struggles. In verse 48, again it says, and Jesus saw his disciples straining at the the oars, right? And, And here's the thing that what hopelessness does. We looked at the last couple of weeks. Hopelessness is looking at life through your eyes. It's what you can do. That's optimistic thinking. Right? Hope begins to build in our life when we see with the perspective of God. That was the whole miracle last week of Jesus healing the blind guy so that they would look at life through spiritual eyes. 
what is capable, what is possible through, through Christ, right? And, and so in our life, when we begin to f- feel a sense of hopelessness, we all of a sudden r- just feel like we're struggling and God isn't paying attention. And if we're, I've heard it once, and I've certainly said it, I've heard it a thousand times, when someone's going through a storm, they're like, hey, pastor, where is God in the, mix, mit, uh, in the midst of this? Somehow there's an assumption that if there's a storm in which you're sinking, God's not around. And this is exactly what the disciples felt. They're in the middle of the, uh, of the sea, off target, off, off course, and they're rowing against the wind, and the text says that Jesus is watching them. He recognizes what they're going through in their life. And if, if you kind of expand that a little bit further, I mean, there, there's a part in Scripture in the Gospels where it says, Jesus knows every hair that you have on your head. But when hopelessness sinks into our life, we wonder where God is at. Because by the, if He was with me, I wouldn't be going through this storm. Who sent the disciples in the boat? Who sent the disciples in the boat? He made them. Do you think that Jesus is on the shore going, Oh no, a storm! No, He's wanting to teach them a lesson because He just fed 5,000 people and they don't get it. So He's like, "Ah, i got another lesson for you. Get in the boat, buddies. Let's go. Right? And, And so in our life, we feel like, God, where are you? But the reality is, He recognizes all of our struggles that we're going through. The second idea is this. That he comes in the moment of desperation. And we'll talk about that because I know, uh, you know people say, well, you know, I, I cried out to God. But, but there's, a, there's a part where there's a giving up part. And we'll get, we'll get into that. In verse 48, it says at the fourth watch of the night. So it's somewhere around 3 to 6 a.m. in the morning. So that meant that most, most guys believed that they had been rowing against the storm for nine hours. Okay? So... so Jesus doesn't come in the second hour. I wished He did. Right? But He doesn't come in the tenth hour either. He comes when we're at a place where we're desperate and we're ready to give up. Now listen. What we do in our life when we're going through a difficult time is that we keep trying We come up with a plan. We revise the plan. We fix the plan. We come up with a system. And we keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And in reality, the lesson for the disciples is he wants to kind of get them in a place where they finally take the oars out of the water and go, we can't win. Jesus is Lord of your life. Do you know what part of that, of your life, he is Lord of? All of it. Right? When you experience storms in your life and you feel like you're sinking, the faster you get to pulling your oars out of the water and fixing your solution, the sooner He will show up in your life. But as long as you keep pushing and rowing and I can overcome it and you keep pushing yourself, He's just going to let you get to a point in your life where you can no longer do it. And so the disciples rowing, I don't know if you've ever been in a little rowboat in a storm. <clears throat> One time Tammy and I were in, uh, up, up in the mountains and uh, we were, had a little 
raft thing and we were rowing and you know it was all good when you're going with the tide. Right? It's like riding a bike downhill. Who can't do that? Then all of a sudden it was time to go back. So I'm like, here, here's a paddle. Start rowing. (laughs) Right? All of a sudden, man, it completely changed. And so this little two-hour journey ends up being this nine-hour round in the thing for the disciples. Just row, 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 row. And they're not making any 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 progress but but here's the lesson in that for us is that not only does he notice our struggle the sooner we get to a place where we just finally say lord i can't the better off you are the more that you try and the more that you push the longer he's going to allow you to do that because after all he's not interested in your comfort he's interested in your character and he wants to be lord of not part of your life but your whole life including your struggles that you have in your life. But what's interesting in the text is, who goes to who? Jesus goes to them. Right? He, he doesn't say, hey guys, come here! He actually goes to them in the moment of their struggles, in the moment of their difficult time. Again, not early, but right on time. Right when they desperately need Him. The third idea is this. That he shows the him, he shows me his true identity. He shows me his true identity. In verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the water, Jesus walking on the water, they thought it was a ghost. And the verse goes on. They cried out, verse 50, because they, uh, when they all saw him, they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and he said, Take courage. And circle that little bold part of the phrase, it is I, do not be afraid. Okay, It is I, do not be afraid. Now why is that an important statement? You remember in the Old Testament, when God was speaking to Moses? And he has a conversation, and God tells Moses, hey, go to the people of Egypt, tell them, you know, I, 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 I'm talking to you, and i got a plan for you. And Moses is like, well, who do I tell them sent me? You remember what he said? Tell him I am sent you. And this is the exact same phrase. Okay? In in the Greek, it it says there, the text that says, it is I, but actually in the Greek, it really reads, I am. 17 times Jesus in the New Testament uses that phrase. He says that I am the, the bread of life, I am the door, I am the vine, I am the good shepherd. I am the truth, I am the life, I am the resurrection. And so here he comes to them and he identifies, not that he's just a good teacher, but that he is God of creation. And he says to his disciples, you know the story of Moses, you know the story of Egypt, you know I am sent you. And he says, it is I, or I am. And he uses that as he identifies who he really is in it. Now what's interesting is, when you think about this, and it's a great visual, it's a great visual, as Jesus is walking out on the water, the very thing that made the disciples filled with fear was the wind and storms, right? The wind and the waves, right? And it was the very thing that Jesus was walking on, and he stepped in the boat and it stopped. And to me, that is a great visual that in our life, what is over our head and feels like this pulling us under 
the great I am is over it. He actually walks on top of your problems and your struggles. And, and to me, the, the, the lesson in that, the visual of that, is just so comforting to know that the Lord that I worship is the one that says, the thing that's scaring you is the thing that I'm walking on and the thing that I step into the boat and it stops. So what do we do? Five, five things that we need to do. Number one in your outline is that we should have courage because Jesus is with me. Okay, Have courage because Jesus is with me. In verse 50, it said, And Jesus said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now this is important to get. <clears throat> because courage is not the absence of fear. Okay? If you can do something with the absence of fear, it doesn't take courage. Would you agree with that? So in this case, in our life, as we're sinking and we feel like we're going under, there's always going to be that moment where we're going to be filled with fear. And that's why you're hopeless. And you have to be willing to recognize that Christ is with you and that you need the courage to overcome the fear in which is, what, which is pulling you under in your life. And so he tells them, he says, have courage. Take courage. It is I. I am the creator, the sustainer. I'm walking on the water. The very thing that, that you're scared about is the very thing that I have control over. And you need to have courage, not in yourself. Remember, hopelessness is looking at life through your eyes. Hope is filled, is filled, you're filled with hope because you're seeing it from God's perspective. And so we have courage because He never leaves us nor forsakes us. You agree with that? Do you believe that? Do you live it? Just checking. It went from yes. Hey, that, that's good. I mean, acknowledge it, right? I mean, that, that, that's the truth. That's the reality for all of us. But, you know, there's the church answer on Sunday, and then there's real life on Monday, right? And it's always easier to give advice from my side of the desk than it is to live it in your world, right? I mean, that's, a, that's the reality. So we are, we, are to not only, we are not only to believe it, but we are to exercise it in our life. Number two is that you need to take a risk in faith. And now this is kind of an interesting um, thought to have. Now in, in, in the Gospels, um, we, we have a part where two of the Gospels leave out Peter walking on the water. Okay, <clears throat> But in this case, in, in Matthew's Gospel, he adds it into the account of what takes place in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. The Lord, uh, Lord, if it's you, so this is Peter replying, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And we'll come back to that in a second. Verse 29, Jesus said, so Peter, uh, so uh, Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and he walked on water, okay? Now, I always think this is kind of funny. If there was like a world championship for people who could walk on water, Peter would always win. Right, because he's the only guy that ever tried it. Well, I guess a lot of drunk people probably tried it, but it doesn't work so well. But he's the only guy that actually did it. All right. So, so what's interesting is 
Peter asked for an ID. Hey, identify yourself. What Peter never doubted that it would be possible for him to walk on water. As he looked at his Lord, he recognized that it would be possible to walk on water. So he's not, he, 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 he has this doubt part that he, where he's going to wrestle with in a second, but the idea of him believing if Jesus could do it, he believed that he would be able to do it. All he needed to do is get a proper identification. Is it really you? Because remember, they thought he was a ghost. And so they wanted to make sure. So here, here's a little lesson on the side. In our life, in our life, as we're going under with hopelessness, one of the biggest obstacles is yourself, your pride. We looked at that last week. Oftentimes in our life, we recognize that we're going down and someone has shared with us what we need to do. But we're not willing to swallow our pride and do it. And we hold on to, I can, and we just want to stay in that position and allow that hopelessness to continue to sink. Because oftentimes when someone comes into us, let's say it's a marriage that's going bad, and, and there's you know, this, this, this idea that you know, what happens in our house stays in our house. And that, that's, that's really kind of stupid because eventually someone's going to read about it in the newspaper, right? And so, uh, and then there's not going to be two cars in the driveway. There's going to be one. And the neighbors are going to go, hmm, wonder what happened, right? So eventually everyone's going to know. But, but, here, but here's the thing. Too many people say, I don't want anybody to know. But then someone comes and says, hey, have you ever thought about counseling? Oh, I, I, you know, right? I can't do that. I'm just going to stay in this hopeless situation and I'm going to hope it gets better. You're not willing to take a risk. You're not willing to step out of the boat. You're not willing to trust God. You just want to stay in the boat because it's comfortable for you and allow it to sink. And so there's always going to be a moment in our fear, in our hopelessness, where God calls us to take that step and are you going to trust him? Peter says, listen, Lord, is it you? Not your harebrained ideas, but Lord, is it you? And Jesus says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. And he doesn't doubt that he can. He believes that he can. And Peter learned an important lesson. That it's safer to be walking on water with Jesus than it is to be in the boat with the disciples. And that's true in all areas of our life. It is always safer to be with Jesus, even in something that seems impossible, than it is in our comfort of our boat with our buddies. So Peter focuses on him, and he begins to walk. He steps out of the boat and begins to walk. Number three, the third truth is you've got to stay focused on Christ. You've got to stay focused on Christ. In, in verse 30 of Matthew's Gospel, it says, but when he saw the, what did he see? The wind. He was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Right? And, and, and isn't it true? Isn't it true? Again, it's that perspective we looked at last week. Isn't it true? You look at the world, you get distressed, don't you? How many of you have stopped watching news? It's true. Right? Stop listening to the radio. I mean, it's, it's like... It's never good, right? 
and you look within yourself, you get depressed. Isn't it true? But when you look to Christ, you experience rest in your life. And it's your perspective. It's how you're looking at life. Peter is able to walk on the water, but the moment that he looks at the wind, the circumstances of his life, he begins to sink in his life. And he begins to kind of drop down. And so the idea is, it's what you're looking at. When you think about him taking the first few steps out of the boat, was it the same wind? Yes. Same waves? Yes. Same water? Yes. Everything was the same. He was able to walk for a moment and then something caught his eye and he looked at a circumstance in which he was at and he began to sink. And as long as you're looking at the world through your perspective, I don't care how strong you are in your faith, you will have times and seasons where you will be overwhelmed with hopelessness in your life because you cannot look at the world through your own strength. It will draw, it, 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 it'll pull you under. Fourth thing is this. Don't doubt. So you take courage. You take a risk. You focus on Christ. The fourth thing is that you don't doubt. In verse uh, Matthew's Gospel, in verse 31, immediately Jesus reached down His hand and He caught Him. And Jesus says to Him, You little of faith, uh, you of little faith, <clears throat> He said, Why do you doubt? Now let's just go back to this verse because this is kind of a fun thing to, to look at. Jesus didn't say, you have no faith. He said, you have little faith. Now get this. So how much faith does it take to walk on water? How much faith does it take to walk on water? Little faith. Isn't that interesting? See, too often in our life, we think we have to have great faith. No, no, no. It's not your faith. It's the size of the God that you worship. That's what matters. In Peter's case, Jesus points them out and he says, listen, you had little faith, but the reality is little faith allowed you to walk until you got your eyes off of Christ. Then you began to sink. But as long as your eyes were fixed on Christ, to walk on water, it just takes a little faith. And we think in our life, oh, I've got to have great faith. And then you even have guys that you know, teach on TV. It's a, oh, you need to have great faith. And the reason why you don't experience miracles is because you don't have great faith. Well, I don't know of any of those guys walking on water. Maybe they do. But Jesus just said you've got to have a little faith to walk on water. But the doubt is the issue. The focus shifts from Christ to the circumstances. And then he begins to go under. So we don't doubt. And then the last thing is, number five, is you praise God. In the midst of the storm. Did you hear me? You praise God in the midst of the storm. You have an option. You can either worry or you can worship. You can either be panicked or you can pray. You can either tremble or you can trust. You can either be filled with fear or you can be filled with faith but it's your option. It's your choice on what you're going to do. In Matthew's Gospel, it says, and when Jesus climbed in the boats, the winds died down. In Mark's Gospel and and John's Gospel, it says it ceased. It just instantly stopped. When Jesus climbed into the boat, uh, and and it says that those who were in the boat, they worshipped Him. And what did they say? 
Truly, you are the Son of God. Okay, so here we go. Here's a little take home for us. Whose idea was it to get in the boat? He knew they were going to be in a, in a, in a, in a storm. That is true in our life. As we go through life, he recognizes the storms in which we're going to go through. He knows them actually before you even go through them. And in the midst of that storm, there are three things that you need to get your arms around and recognize. That he notices the struggles that you're going through. He shows up at the moment of desperation where you're willing to say, Lord, I can't do it. I can't do it, I give. He shows up at that moment and he identifies himself as not a good teacher, not a cool prophet, but the creator, the I am in your life. That he has power over every problem in which you have in your life. And that he doesn't just have power over it, but he demonstrates it by walking on top of them. What has, what's over your head is under his feet. And so he asks us, he says, take courage. Take a risk in faith. Identify him. Focus on Christ. Don't doubt. And worship him in the midst of the storm. And remember, this is a lesson to the disciples. Because they didn't get the 5,000 of the feeding of, uh, of the with the loaves and fish. And so here's the take home for all of us. The first one is that Jesus can do anything. You believe that? That Jesus is all that you need. You don't need a plan. You need a personal Savior. You don't need a system. You need a Savior. And then the last thing is, faith is the answer to a sinking life. Why? Because it's faith in Him. And as our faith grows, it increases our hope in our life. Let's pray. Father, as I just sit here and think through of the folks who are here and just folks in the body of Christ here, I know, Lord, that there are many who are wrestling and struggling with situations and circumstances that they feel like they're drowning. They feel like they're sinking. And Father, today I pray that Your Spirit will speak loud into their soul. That they will recognize that You are all that they need. That You're there for them. That You never leave them nor forsake them. That You have every detail of their life and that you're sovereignly in control. And if you're wrestling with something that just has you down, I just pray that you would just visually in your mind place it in the hands of Christ. Just as Peter, as he was sinking, he reaches out and Jesus grabs him. May you reach out and place that struggle, that storm that you're going through in His hands. Lord, thank You for Your faithfulness. 
Thank, thank you that you're there for us, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And Father, for those who may not be going through a storm, Lord, we know that a storm is around the corner. That's just the way life is. And I pray, Lord, that we would, in that moment, trust you and seek you and look to you. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. And all God's people said,